on some level everybody worries about the future. Uh, some people worry about the future on different schedules. There are people who worry way, way in advance. Uh, and uh, in my experience, these people get much more done in life. Uh, other people worry only when the future is practically upon them. Uh, and these people can be very productive as well, but only normally in very short bursts. Uh, because of Jesus, uh, however, Christians don't live without hope uh, when it comes to worry about the future or the trials that may come our way. Uh, Christians don't live without hope because of Jesus. We are reminded, for example, that there is forgiveness of sins. We remember it uh, at least every week, uh, and perhaps you're reminded uh, when you read uh, the Bible in your own time. Uh, there's forgiveness of sins, not for everyone, but it is free for everyone who follows Christ. Christians don't live without hope. We are taught that there is life after death. Uh, for the Christian, uh, death isn't the end. Uh, it's the end only of suffering and the end of struggle, but not the end. Uh, death is a sleep from which we will wake to see our Lord's smiling face. It's nothing to worry about. And we're upheld by the promises of perfect justice, that the undeniable wickedness in the world will be perfectly punished. Uh, we have nothing to worry about. But Christians still worry. Uh, in some ways, it's quite natural that we would worry. We, the same things happen to us as that happens to our neighbours who don't know the Lord. Uh, we live in the same world, we do the same jobs, we deal with uh, all of the same knocks. Uh, there are hurdles and uncertainties that exercise our minds. And so it's quite natural to grapple with anxiety and worry uh, whether or not you're wrecked or destroyed by it. But unfortunately, in some ways, uh, we Christians are no better uh, and, than our neighbours. Uh, we sometimes live as those who have no hope. We can be too easily rattled along the way, losing sight uh, of all that's been promised and all that's been done for us. And in at least one really weird way, Christians sometimes worry more than our non-Christian neighbours. Uh, if you read the whole of your Bible, you'll find bits that speak into the future. And many of uh, these bits were written so long ago that the future they predicted has already come to pass. Uh, we can look back and see, oh, that was predicted and it's already happened. But there's many other bits that seem to stretch into things still to come. And sometimes Christians can almost wreck themselves trying to untangle what it could mean. Who is the Antichrist? What is the rapture? When is the tribulation? And why didn't God make himself clearer? And look, friends, there can be fruit in looking deeply into these things and trying to untangle uh, these uh, predictions of the future. But if it causes you anxiety along the way, then you're doing it wrong, way wrong. Because there's enough that's plain that will tell you everything you need to know. Let me lead you to a couple of such verses and I think you'll see why they relate today, to today's passage. From Revelation chapter 21, uh, I opened with this verse this morning. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Wasn't well, that all we need to know? To show you this wasn't just an invention after Jesus, this is from Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, the same promise. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. We've been told everything we need to know and if that's not enough, um, then, uh, then we're doing it wrong. 
So I'm going to use uh, those words. He will swallow up death forever and wipe away tears from all faces. These are the words from Isaiah uh, as sort of you know, a big idea. Take that away at least from the story uh, that we read today. Uh, and I'm going to break the story up into a few sections. Collision, comparison, I couldn't think of a C word for resuscitation, uh, and confession. So first of all, collision. There is a virtual collision uh, as two crowds converge on each other. In verse 11 it says, He went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Uh, And then in verse 12 it says, As he drew near, a considerable crowd was coming out with the body of a young man. Two crowds meet. And they meet each other at the bottleneck of the town gate. But it's not just a physical collision, it's a clash of purpose. One crowd with Jesus is bearing good news. The other crowd is bearing a corpse. The first crowd is full of joy. The other one is full of sorrow. Jesus' crowd is bringing a message of hope into the town. The people of Nain are carrying a dead body out of the town. Now I say collision, uh, it's no high speed crash. There's not carnage. Uh, As I said, it's a clash of mood and purpose. It's like calling a friend to tell them you've just got a promotion and learning in the conversation that they've just been made redundant. You know, one person has good news, the other bad, and they meet, and it's at least awkward. Now, at the time when Jesus' crowd met uh, the outcoming crowd, uh, culturally, uh, funerals weren't just a private family matter. It was uh, something recognised by the town and, in fact, the whole of the people. And so the grief was shared by the whole community, and so the instinct of Jesus' crowd would have been to join the crowd uh, of mourners, to be swallowed up even in the mourning procession. But Jesus has another idea, uh, because God will swallow death. And so we come to Jesus' compassion, which he shows in verse 13. It says, when the Lord saw her, when he saw the grieving mother, he had compassion on her. We heard in verse 12, three important details that go along with the sadness of the situation to remind us of just how deep and dark the circumstances are. First of all, it's somebody's son who has died. Now there's something not only sad but just terribly unnatural about a parent burying their child. It's not the way it's meant to go. Uh, Secondly, we learn that this is this woman's only son. Now, losing one child would be bad enough, but to lose all of them, or your only one. Well, we learn later, of course, that God watched on as his only son suffered and died. And we're reminded, again, that he is a God who shares our greatest sorrows. Uh, But we learn also, the third thing we learn uh, in this uh, procession from verse 12, is that uh, the woman who is burying her only son has also already buried her husband and she's a widow. Today, this lady is surrounded by a crowd of mourners, but tomorrow she'll be all alone in the world. So it's easy for us to see the sadness in the situation, but what we might not see as easily as Jesus and the others would have seen uh, is the vulnerability of this woman. Uh, With no pensions or social security or nursing homes, Uh, This lady is now at the mercy of her own savings, if she had any, 
Uh, depending how old she is, she's at the mercy of her own ability to work uh, or her own potentially failing health. Uh, she's at the mercy of her community's ability to provide her care and their willingness to do it. Uh, because she has no son or man about the house, uh, there, there is no immediate prospects of, of hope. Uh, last week when Jesus saw the sorrow of the people grieving the death of his friend Lazarus, this is last week uh, in our time, uh, as I preached on uh, the resurrection event of Lazarus, and uh, when Jesus saw the sorrow of the people, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus wept with them. Such a beautiful picture. Uh, but today we see a different side. It's no less beautiful. In verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Do not weep. Or in another context, it might be callous to say something like that to someone who's grieving the loss of their son. Uh, I do see in this something quite natural uh, because Jesus knows what he's about to do. Soon enough, there'll be nothing left to cry about. But I also see in this something deeply theological, something actually really rich and heavy with meaning. Because Jesus doesn't necessarily use his hands, uh, but this is Jesus wiping away the tears from her eyes. Surely when Luke writes that Jesus said, do not weep, he is saying first, well, yes, this is simply what Jesus said under the circumstances, but also watch Jesus, watch him, while he fulfills the word of the Lord and while he foreshadows what is to come. The one who will wipe away tears from all faces. Because that's what it says in Isaiah and Revelation, alongside the, fact that, um, uh, alongside the fact that the Lord would wipe away all the tears, uh, we see that death would be no more in Revelation and in Isaiah, I like the picture, that he will swallow up death forever. And he's about to take the first bite. Resuscitation. Jesus touches the beer, uh, the stretcher that's holding the body, and the heaving crowd stops. And he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the young man sits up and says, hello, I'm back. <laughs> Wish I thought of something better to say in the moment. Uh, the young man sits up, he begins to speak. It signals that not only is he alive, uh, but he's all there uh, and he's ready to go. Uh, he hasn't just been sort of swooning uh, and he's kind of coughing and spluttering to come back, but he's there, he's back. And then we see a confession. In verse 16 it says, Fear seized them all and they glorified God, saying a great prophet has arisen among us. Now if we were getting carried away with the C's, the theme of the letter C, um, to make up for the R in the middle. Uh, we could break, up, break this up further, uh, this confession into consternation, celebration and confession. Uh, because they burst out with the confession that this must be a great prophet, but we see two other uh, responses, almost paradoxical, almost opposite things in our own way of thinking, but these things that nevertheless they explode simultaneously. What I've called consternation and celebration, we see fear and praise. But in the, constant, in the context of meeting and being confronted by a God who is holy, who is powerful, uh, it is no wonder. It's not, it's not so strange at all to feel each of those things. 
Okay, it's one thing that he brought a man back to life with his words, but what else could he do? What if you were on his wrong side? Who is this man and what might he do? And yet also joy, great glory to God because of what he's done and, and, and uh, rescuing not only the boy or the young man, uh, but remember particularly uh, in the story, the, the, the mum who was left and had no hope. But then it moves on to this confession. Surely a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Now to understand this confession that Jesus must be a great prophet, uh, it's, unhel- it's, it's helpful to unpick some of the history and theological legacy around these events. And, and we saw some of this uh, with uh, Louise helping us uh, understand uh, one of the resurrection events of the Old Testament. I'm going to take us through another one as well. Uh, because uh, in a lot of ways, Jesus' act not only fulfills the swallowing up of death and the wiping away of tears, but his actions uh, actually mirror uh, the acts of two of Israel's greatest prophets, both Elijah and Elisha. So what we didn't hear about this morning uh, so much was in 1 Kings, we learn about Elijah. Uh, 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 John Chandler preached on uh, this passage uh, back in January. Uh, Elijah was exiled into a far north country where he met a widow and her only son. Sound familiar? While he was with them, uh, God provided for them all throughout the whole of a dreadful famine. But after the famine was passed, the widow's son got sick and died. Sound familiar? Uh, And Elijah cried out to the Lord and he stretched out his whole body on the boy three times And the boy sprang back to life and the widow responded with, Now I know you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Sound familiar? Now what is a man of God with the true word of the Lord in his mouth as per the widow's confession if he's not a prophet? Elijah raised the only son of a widow and she recognized that he must therefore be an approved servant of the only God. And so when Jesus raises the only son of a widow, the people naturally recognise that he is at least an approved servant of the only God. We come to more familiar territory in 2 Kings. We played this out uh, this morning. Another story, at this time not about Elijah, but about, about Elisha. And Elisha is cared for by an old couple in a small town in the north of Israel, a place called Shunem. Uh, the old couple have no children at first, But Elisha prophesies that they'll have a son, and they do have a son. And one day the boy complains to his father that his head is hurting, and he rests his head on his mother's lap all morning, and then he dies. And so she rushes to Elisha, and and, and we actually see, and we've got a picture today, that, uh, that Elisha seems to struggle somewhat with bringing this boy back. First he sends a staff, no luck. Uh, Then he stretches out, he cries out to the Lord, nothing. Stretches out on the boy, his body becomes warm, but that's all. He paces around the house, he cries out some more, he stretches out again and finally the boy comes back to life. Not so much talking, there's a bit of spluttering this time, seven sneezes. Uh, And Louise pointed this out, but this was was new for me this week uh, to learn that all this happened... uh, although it happened hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, by the time Jesus is walking through the hills, the town of Shunem has disappeared and the people have shifted, like Louise said, to various other towns, including this small town called Nain. And the people of Nain, they would 
they would have not only known the stories of Elijah and Elisha, they would have known the stories, they would have been taught them. But the people in Nain, I reckon they, they carried a small bit of you know, small town pride about the fact uh, that this is the place, or just down the road is where Elisha once raised a small boy back to life, just over there. Imagine. And so when Jesus raises in Nain, the son of a widow, just down the road from Shunem, they know exactly what has happened. It's no mistake that they cry out, surely a prophet has arisen among us. They're, they're imagining Elisha and Elijah all in one. This man isn't only a man of compassion. Anyone can feel sorry for a wounded widow. There's a whole crowd of compassionate people walking by her side, ready to bury him in a hole. But Jesus' actions spell something much more significant, not just compassion. Let's not forget the compassion, of course. It's a, it's a big feature. But not just compassion, something more. It's right after confessing that a great prophet has arisen among us, they say, God has visited his people. God has visited his people. I spoke a little bit at the start by way of introduction to talk about how Christians can worry sometimes and we can worry ourselves about you know, what's going to happen in the future, uh, what's going to come, what's it going to look like. We've been told about the future, everything we need to know. It's not to say we shouldn't study more, we shouldn't try to unpick things, but we, shouldn't, we don't need to worry. We've been told everything we need to know. He will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away tears from all faces. Behold, it says just after this in Revelation, behold, he's making all things new. We can look into the future, we can see that. Uh, we can look into the past and see that God has visited his people. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, has arrived. And Jesus promised at the end, before he rose to heaven, he said, and behold, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. God is with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us uh, these crystal clear promises, a set of simple expectations about what's to come, that death as we know it will be swallowed up there will be no more. That every tear uh, that we cry, uh, as we learnt last week, is, is shared by you, but will also one day be wiped away. There will be no need for it anymore. There will be comfort, not just in words and platitudes, but in reality, because everything worth crying about now will be a thing of the past. Lord, we pray that as we, uh, as we look into the future, uh, sometimes with worry about the things that uh, seem to be around the corner, uh, we pray that you will help us uh, to remember what Christ has done, that God has already arrived, that you have visited your people and you are with us to the end of the age. And we pray that as we look into the future and, and worry about what's to come, that you will help us uh, to live 
uh, at peace, knowing that for us, death is only a sleep and it will be no more. Uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is not only a prophet, but who with just great ease said, Arise, uh, and the dead man heard it and arose. And we thank you uh, that the Lord Jesus speaks to us and calls us uh, from death to life. We pray that we will hear his voice and respond. Amen.